Hey, Savages and Sport fans, welcome to the Greg Medford Show. Greg, your host here without a baseball hat today. We'll see how the glare affects the filming for those of you who are watching this. For everybody else, I just am cluing you in like it's a like it's a pre-talky movie. Um, listen, we've done a whole bunch of politics this season in season two. We did a lot of politics the second half of season one. We're going to talk a little politics today. We, uh, you know, uh, our next guest I met at a Jim Lehman event who was running for U.S. Senate, and he was uh, kind of knocked out of the running by Blake Masters and the Trump endorsement this year. Uh, and we ended up, we were standing off to the side, and we ended up chatting a little bit. And then uh, Bobby, my producer, just kind of connected with them, and here he is for the show. He just got a tour through the factory. He's got a really interesting background. He's done, a, he and I have actually, we're almost like a, kind of weird, a black and, we're almost like, a, what do you call it, Othello doppelgangers. Um, background, you've done a bunch of martial arts, right? So martial arts, and you've done some stand-up comedy, and he's been on a lot more nationally syndicated shows and stuff than I have, of course. I'm here busy locked in uh, Troll Central making knives. Um, but while I've been locked in Troll Central making knives, he's been off talking to the world. And the world is shifting right now. We know we just had this uh, um, this abomination called the, uh, what's this, Inflation, it's the Inflation Reduction, Inflation Reduction Act. Act, which it's the very, it's the funny thing. It would be like passing a law that's to save children that actually kills children. It's the exact opposite it's everything Democrats do. It's the opposite of what they're doing. And I just heard yesterday about 20 points through it, and the whole thing sounds like a crazy race agenda um, bill of some sort of woke madness that's taken over the country. You know, what we're doing right now is what happens to serious countries when they have too much and there are other hungry people in the world who are willing to step into the into the breach. We are being silly here in this country, and we're we're no longer, in my opinion, we're not people to be taken seriously. Frankly, certainly not the national body politic and the direction of our country. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk about some local politics. Should be kind of fun. Our guest is Kevin Jackson, uh, not the one that played for the uh, Phoenix Suns. That's Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson. But all black people look alike, right? AJ. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Because <laughs> I don't watch uh, NBA at all. So uh, there's got to be another Kevin Jackson. There's a Kevin Jackson that was a wrestler at Iowa State. He was also a mixed martial artist. I get mixed up with him a lot. Is he a black guy? He's a black guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, he, because he was MMA and I trained in MMA, trained fighters in MMA, he, I get mixed up and say, hey, Kevin, congratulations on the gold medal in the Olympics. I'm like, I'm not the wrestler. I'm not that dude. <laughs> and he wasn't as good of a martial artist because he transitioned from wrestling to martial arts. So I don't take offense because he was okay. He's a beast. Isn't there another Jackson? Who's the guy out of New Mexico? Michael? Michael? No, <laughs> he's no. He's dead. No, the guy out of, uh, I mean, he's an MMA guy. He's not black dude. But... You're talking about Holly Holmes trainer? I don't know. The yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't. Is 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 he a. Isn't he? Yeah, I couldn't remember. Anyways. We're not all kin, though, man. <laughs> Stop it. Hey, thanks for coming to the show. How are you doing today? No, man, let me tell you what. Super impressive 
thing you got here. I, I, I was, I'm blown away. I, I really want to have the audience understand I'm rarely blown away, um, but I am. Cool. You make amazing knives. I'm going to have to get one, but I don't know if I want to wait a freaking five years to get it, but <laughs> I'm going to have to get in line at some point. No, seriously, good stuff. Didn't know you were a devil dog, which, you know, makes you go up in my book quite a bit. All right. Because all right. as you know, I worked a lot with the special forces training those guys up. So when they get out in the forward facing areas, they don't, they come back alive and with all their fingers. Tell me what you did martial arts wise. Four black belts. Taekwondo, Aikido, Kempo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Which, which Kempo? Chinese or American? Chinese Kempo. Was that Tracy Kempo? No, I worked out with a guy. He came from China. They ended up uh, expelling him back to the to the country. Out of there, his name is Bing, and uh, taught me all about chi. It was a it was a great experience because I was doing traditional, you know, Japanese. You know, I did a, a Aikido in Japanese, and I did a Taekwondo Korean. And when I found this guy, it was a very uh, you know, I mean, it's artistic and all that, but he taught me about chi. You could try to choke this guy, man. He could just peel your hands right off. No matter how big you were, he just, and he'd take your hands right off of him. So he taught me how to really center my energy. I was already uh, freakishly strong for my size and a good athlete. I ran track in college and uh, all that. So it just, every, here's what happened. You learn something and you think, oh, that's it. Taekwondo, end all, be all. Then somebody goes, oh, you seen Aikido? And they show you a couple things. And you're like, whoa, what was that? What'd you do to me? And how about two things on the opposite end of the spectrum? Which style? Was it Chuntaquan or Mutaquan uh, Taekwondo? Do you remember? No, what we did, what was called Chunjiquan. So our first, and, and it was just based on our first form is Chunji. And then our last form was Basai. Oh, yeah. But a lot of guys didn't move. Basai, Yugo, yeah, Toigi. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and, that's Chungdaquan. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so what I what I what I was focused on was the reason why I liked it. It was very disciplined. It was, you know, you 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 learned good quality technique. But and and we were a fighting school. So we fought every practice, you know, every no matter what. After you Where did so, you train? I trained in Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Um De bunch Texas, of guys. You know, my uh, my instructor was from uh, Texas as well. He trained with a guy named Pat Burleson. I know Pat Burleson. So okay. there's Burleson. There was uh, uh, oh, uh, Roy Kerbin. Roy Kerbin was the big dude. He was the equivalent of Chuck Norris in our area, but not as well known because he didn't do movies and stuff. Texas was the fucking bangers club. It was the bangers so, club so, of karate. Absolutely. Yeah, and then California was the- California uh, was next. With, with Speedy Pointy. Yeah, and, you're right. And, and then we were, the, Arizona is this interesting mix of guys from Texas and California. So it was like kind of like uh, sniper bangers. No kidding. Yeah. So we had the guys that people know. You know me, uh, Billy Jackson, Billy B, B or Benny Arquitas. I'm been dating myself yep. here. Uh, we had Raymond McCallum. We had Tim Kirby. These are all got point fighters that ended up going pro. Um, and and then I yeah, up, I worked out with all those guys. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's hilarious. These, these are the boys and. I mean, uh, Graben is one of my buddies. Uh, he, we all traveled together. So I mean, it was a lot of guys, and and martial arts to me was just, it was just, part, it's life. It was just part of life. Yeah, I kind of did it right up until the point in my entire life. I did it until I started making knives, and no then this kidding. kind of took over. Well, because I, mean, I had a few schools here in town. My first, did you really? Yeah, my first black belt was in Shotokan Karate years ago. So uh, we had one of my good friends is a six don in Texas Shotokan. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Oh, man. Uh, I haven't talked to him in so long, I've forgotten. All right, no worries, no worries. So uh, I, my first black belt was in Shotokan, then I got a black belt in Chundaquan, and then in Chinese Kempo. Yep. Uh, and then I got a black belt 
multiple degrees in American Kempo, so Ed Parker stuff. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, neato. So, uh, and then you got into doing MMA? Yeah. So I, I was, my kids were training at a dojo. The guy who was at that dojo got his black belt in Taekwondo under me. And I go in there and they're on the ground wrestling. I said, get my kids up doing all that gay stuff. <laughs> so he goes, Mr. Jackson, this is jujitsu, blah, blah, blah. So, and, and keep in mind, this kid is the, at the time, heavyweight uh, kickboxing in North Texas for uh, uh, Thai fight, Thai. Thai kickboxer, okay. I mean, he is tough as, one of the toughest kids you'll ever meet. So anyway, he goes, well, come on, let's move around. I'll show you this jujitsu stuff. I said, okay, I'm going to fire at you. Now I'm working. I'm not going to beat him because, you know, in a, in a legitimate, you know, ring fight on the streets, he'd be, you know, be different. So anyway, we, I, we strap up, I get my gear out of the car. I go in there, man. He taps me out the first time in like a minute and the second time in a minute and a half. And I just remember coming to this wild conclusion. Now he's one of the top fighters in the world. So it didn't bother me as bad as it would have if it had just been like some chump. But it still dawned on me how easy it was. And I thought to myself, as good as I am on my feet, if I'm on the ground, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So I got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And, uh, but what I really enjoy and I'm, what I'm training for now, I got to get in better shape. I uh, had some issues, health issues, but uh, I'm doing Krav. So... I'm a lifelong martial artist. I'm not never quitting. I'm I'm looking for the most efficient way to kill. I mean, and not because I'm a, a mean guy, but because there are a lot of mean people out there and some of them actually want to get me now. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> a lot of death threats. All right. So uh, where'd you grow up? Texas. Uh, 25,000 acre cattle ranch in Brady, Texas is where I grew up. Uh, did you work the ranch? Work the ranch. I tell everybody my background is going to that going to at eight years old my mother my mother died before i turned five my grandparents adopt me and my brother move us to this ranch where we work for this wealthy white family and so we learned hard work so your grandparents were caretakers on caretakers the, okay. of that property okay yeah so we were taking care That's of kind of a blessing it was a, a, hell, of a hell of a way to grow up oh my god i mean so, the ranch is spectacular it, we had two thousand acres of exotic animals these people came four times a year it was our ranch yeah you know the vehicles my brother and i drove we shot their their when they come they'd hunt we take the extra shells we go hunting you know it, it was ours more than it was theirs and they really treated it, it that way so they treated us like family by the way rich republican family that couldn't have a care in the world about our color or whatever in fact they sent me to military school which is where i, I got my military chops and uh t 20 grand a year to send my brother and i to this private school and they paid yeah go we'll pay for it so they chose it paid for it it's marine military academy in harlington texas so i went i spent four years there my brother spent three then i got a scholarship to smu and um engineering degree from engineering there. Yep. yeah and then the rest is kind of history from there, but it set the stage. And I tell everybody, you should grow up on a ranch or a farm because you learn what hard work is and where oh, your food yeah, you comes do. from, oh, right? Yeah, you do. And you should spend some time in the military. You do those two things, you will not ever be indoctrinated to the BS that we go through, you know, that these kids are going through today. Psh, I don't even know who these kids are, man. Yeah, it's bananas. Yeah. So, God, um, it's there's so many things to unpack with you. You've also uh, spent a lot of time on radio and TV. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background so, there. So what's, what's ironic, you know, degrees in electrical engineering, computer science, and math from SMU, right? And this crazy background, I get out of college, I go to work in um, as a design engineer. I'm designing supercomputers. 
and somebody comes in and says, you should be in sales. You got a personality for sales. And I'm like, I don't want to do sales, man. You know, and they're like, you make a lot more money. More, more money. Yeah. <laughs> so they convinced me. I tripled my income the first year. I was naturally good at it. I was a tech sales guy. I knew how to sell tech. Did that. Ended. I mean, I can take you through all these iterations, but I ended up living in uh, uh, China, uh, learned Mandarin. I mean, I was all over the place. So, I, and I loved language and cultures and all that. And as a martial artist, I couldn't, I, I fought in Japan and, you know, throughout Asia. So I was like, man, this is just, you know, my background was so varied. Well, I, I ended up getting out of engineering, going into management consulting. I was a management consultant to the largest companies in the world. So I'm going all around the world doing that now in a whole different you know, eyeballs, looking at the world, seeing how America fits in the scheme of things. I come back and uh, I, I ended up running my own company for a while. You know, I mean, I, I've been self-employed for quite a while. Um, long story short, I get, we're going to do a deal from in management consulting. They they put the deal together and then they, they pull the rug on us and gave us a parachute. So I got out of that. Uh, I, before you go on, what, what do you mean management consulting? Tell me what you mean. So I would go into a company and a large company. My average company was 23 billion in market cap. Now this was years ago. This is 2006 to 2009, uh, when there were no trillion dollar market cap companies. So the largest company I worked with was 260 billion market cap. It was BP Petroleum, British okay. Petroleum. So I go into that company, I say, they say, we're getting ready to change our infrastructure. We're, we're gonna do a $100 million project to go from uh, SAP to JD Edwards in this piece, or in this case, JD Edwards to SAP, whatever. And, you know, we all bid on the project. I'd sell the project and then we go implement it worldwide. So it could be whatever. And that's what management consulting is. And then you look at, are you, the same way I'd evaluate your business, you know, what are your sales? What are you trying to achieve? How big do you want to grow? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but large, large companies. So that's what I did. And let me tell you why that's important. Because when I came into this business of polit political, whatever, punditry, I looked at it from a management consulting perspective, and here's what I learned. We lose. We lose. They call us racist. We lose. We don't know how to fight. They call you and me, you know, we're toxically masculine because we're, you know, males on the other side of the aisle. We lose. We don't know how to fight it. Uh, they say we're homophobic. We're xenophobic. And I'm looking at guys, my friends, and I'm going, they're none of that. I grew up with a bunch of corn-fed white boys in Brady, Texas, at FFA and H H 4H, and you know, cattlemen and farmers that would go that would fight to the death for me, right? They don't know, know my color, but these leftist, you know, weenies out of you know DC and New York would tell you that guy's a racist. No, he's not. He's not. He's nowhere close to being a racist. He's nowhere close to being taught. He treats women with respect. What are you talking about? He's a misogynist. And it, it just literally would piss me off. I'd watch these people define people that I knew. And I'd go, yeah, y'all are so full of shit. It's not even funny. So that's what made me go, I got to get into this game and change that, that paradigm, right? I got to change the way they think about my friends. And, I, and it really drove me that way. So that became it. And then, of course, you're a black conservative. You're going to catch some shit, you know, because that's just the way it works. And... Uh, I was. Yeah, I feel that way as a black conservative every day. Well, obviously, I see your racist searching. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, so so it became everything that I did that led me to where I losing my mother before I turned five, my father being in prison and being just a total ass, you know, you know, 
fighting for everything I, I wanted and got. It, you, tell me, tell me, adversity, I can, adversity. adversity. Tell yeah. me I can't do something. I did it right. Tell me you're going to kick my butt. I kicked yours. So and, and all these things that led me to this working hard on a farm, going to military school, you know, and getting this mentality of a winner, a winner, a winner. And uh, then I get to this and I see nothing but losers. I see people that don't know. They, they're just nothing but losers I, surrounded by them. Mm -hmm. And I go, it's time to somebody get in this game and show people how to win. And that's really it. So are are you um, are you thinking about running for office? I will never run for office. Okay. So are you associating with people where you're trying to get them to change their their narrative, their approach to how they interact? Are so, you, so are biggest... you trying to are you trying to tell me what you're trying to do? Are you trying to infect the Republican Party with redheadedness? I mean, I don't think the Republican Party. Are are you trying to change the narrative for Republicans to counter the Marxist narrative? That's so there's two us, there's two things we're trying to do. What, what's your goal? So the first thing is, and I, I bet you'll resonate with this one. You, you got to take the sissies in the Republican Party and give them a backbone. There's too many sissies. They're ready to run. I think I used to think when a fight came from the left, if you call me a racist, I was like, what? You know, I'm ready to step up, and I'm thinking there's thousands of people behind me. The minute they get called racist, they're running. Yeah. Right. I'm not running. Call me whatever you want to call me because I'm there. I'm, I will be there in your face. Right. But these chumps are running. So you got to first thing is you, you have to build the backbone of the conservative movement. Then the second thing is you got to let the other guys know you're willing to stand there and give some ass kickings. And that's what I do. So if you look at my work on Fox, I don't back down. I, I articulate an argument better than anybody. <clears throat> I can. Justice Thomas said in his office to me, Kevin, there is nobody better than taking a complicated concept and narrowing it down to its essence than you. Never met anybody better. It's what the Justice, Justice Clarence Thomas said about me. So that's what I do because I'm going to take the My thing is I'm going to fight you, but you're not going to realize it's a fight because I will have ripped your heart out before you think while you're thinking fight, I'm going to rip your heart out. So tell me, uh, tell me how you're doing the fight. I mean, you've got a podcast, right? Yeah, so I was on Fox News. That was the biggest deal. I got fired because I tweeted that the Kavanaugh accusers were lying skanks, which they are. I stand by that. And then, of course, Fox called me and says, you got to take that back. I'm not taking that jack. I have four sons. All boys, by the way. Uh, That's the way sons work, yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, that was yeah. funny. <laughs> Bam! You I don't took me a second. <laughs> I don't live in that trans world, so it took me a minute. Like, oh, yeah, there are people who think like that. <laughs> Little wit lag. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so anyway, you know, I, I, my thing is I've got I raise men and I'm not going to have them 35 years be at the pinnacle of their career and have some skank say, oh, he touched my breast. Yeah, by accident, you know, or whatever. I mean, we, we have allowed them to, to me to movement us into, you know, becoming practical eunuchs um, to, to racism us into 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 backing away from whatever your heritage may be. That's ridiculous. You know, we had moved so far away from this stuff, and what we've done is we've allowed a bunch of pansy-ass sissies Republicans to put us back into this position. Look at, I mean, here's what I'm finding because I'm making a sequel to 2,000 Mules. I learned through the pe my contacts and to have undercover video of everybody cheating. I thought it was Democrats cheating. It's Republicans cheating with Democrats to fix the system against Trump and against us, ultimately against us. 
When are we going to wake up and stop this stuff? Yeah, the uniparty is the best phrase the uni- to come out of the last uniparty, couple of years. That's exactly what yeah. they are. Yeah. So you know what, man? We got to stand up. I mean, I'm glad guys like you, you're not only standing up, you buck up and do it. You talked about con- so. Let me let me tell you what I do. So I started. I looked at okay. There's politics and pop culture. We're losing everything. We the the military used to be the one of the areas of conservatism. I mean, it has one purpose, right? Yeah. Now we're we're sissifying it. Let's LGBT the damn thing, right? Idiotic, but we're doing it. Capitalism used to be one of those bastions of meritocracy. What are we doing? We're sissifying it. Oh, we got to have all these HR people for the Latinos and the blacks and the, the gays and the Guatemalan midgets. Everybody wants their own little HR person for their own little special interest BS. Well, how about we just come in and make great knives? Right. You know, uh, I I hear I've heard and you have heard so many people over the last I don't know, really the last 20 years. They talk about now they say toxic masculinity, but they've really been chopping away at masculinity. Absolutely. Jordan Peterson makes one of the greatest points. You know, he says uh, he says he says it's not just white men running the world because that's that's only a couple hundred people. It's a very, very micro subset. Other than that, everybody else is pretty damn equal. He's like, you can't just pick 100 really successful people and judge the entire group of people off those 100 folks. That's crazy. We've attacked success in this country. And we've we've made success and connected it to racism. And it's being done at every level. And I'm struggling. Look, everybody wants everyone to have a fair shake. I don't know if I've ever even met a white supremacist. I don't I don't know if I've ever actually even met one. Well, I'm actually a white supremacist, so you can't say that anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if I've ever met one of these folks. You know, the, the Democrats seem to be having a fight in public against some 1950s skinhead, neo-Aryan nation types. They, they seem to have a, a dialogue going on with them, but the times have changed. Like, you know, when we were kids, there were KKK rallies around the country. Remember that? And the ACLU used to stick up for them. They would have one in Chicago. They would try. To, they would have them. It was very, very provocative. You never have those anymore. Like there were still some nutty people like that around. You know, that's very marginalized. That's that's not a real thing anymore. Even, even when I was a kid, it was marginalized. I yeah. mean, the amount of racists that I've run. I mean, openly racist that you run into in any given situation. So minute. You, we shouldn't be talking about it. But your earlier point is right. Everything's racialized. And, and so what's happened, and, and, and a couple of things have happened. The marginalized masculinity. If you want to know what's going wrong with our country, it's 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 a lack of masculinity. I think the problem with our country is a lack of masculine leadership. Because masculine leadership is about being willing to get punched in the face for the right thing. Well, I can don't tell have, you, we I don't tell have you anybody this, willing man. to get punched in the face anymore. Oh, are you kidding? Bunch of pansies. I mean, Mitch so, McConnell, Lindsey Graham, these guys. Would you they, want they, them fighting for you? No, no. They don't even fight for themselves. Right. Well, I can tell you this: in this room, we need a bottle because the max, the masculine, masculinity is oozing. Man, we need to be bottling this up and putting it out there and selling it. Get somebody in here with a bottle. I think masculinity <laughs> is what's hurting this country. Masculinity? I think the lack of masculinity, oh. the attack on masculinity, oh, is what's hurting this country. And I'm not talking about braggadocious macho, not the bullshit part of it. Yeah. Because there's the bullshit part of everything. I mean, real responsible masculinity that... So let's really talk. So you said masculinity, lack of it, is what's hurting the country. So yeah. let's translate that for our, for the listeners. Femininity, feminism is hurting the country. For sure. 
Right. Right. So that's what it's hey, about. And, and, and people say, oh, you're anti-woman. Well, feminism is not actually pro-woman at all. And if you ask women in America, they've been pulled repeatedly for the past 70 years and they reject feminism wholeheartedly. Right. Feminism is a crazy idea of a bunch of hostile lesbians from the 1960s. Yeah. It's not actually a real thing now. I call them the hairy underarm crowd. It, but what's interesting is they got a lot of the ones who started it, the, the you Gloria know, Steinem Steinem and that, that whole bunch. They, yeah. They're now married with men who take care of them. You know, they started a movement that was built on a lie because they're all now married. But going back to what am I doing? You look at politics and pop culture, everything I do addresses the problem. Racism, my, my brand is ending identity politics. I don't care what you are, I don't care. I could have come in here, you could have been Asian, you could have been black. If you're American and you're doing this, your product is all American, you have built an amazing company, man, I applaud you. And it wouldn't matter what color you were, you're a cool, when I met you, you're a cool cat. End of story, we can hang, right? And that's the way you've picked everybody and the way you that you really endear yourself to people is when you get to know them. Well, we don't even get to know each other because the first thing they do is I'm supposed to see your whiteness and be mad at you. And you're supposed to see my blackness and go, well, he must vote for Obama. And we're supposed to make all these stereotypes, which they claim that they don't automatically do. And they do automatically do that. You know who doesn't automatically do that? We don't. Right. We take people for who they are. Um, You know, it's funny. I've... I've seen this clip of Malcolm X saying the most dangerous thing for a black person in America is a white liberal. I've you, seen that so many times and it resonates so hard. And I wonder, you know, Malcolm X wasn't right about everything. Nobody's right about everything, but he was so right about that. It was profound. Yeah. And, and, and Malcolm is a really interesting study because he came from this ethnocentric black racism and right. He came at it honestly because he watched, you know, black people get completely uh Jim, yeah, yeah just Jim treated, Crow awfulness. absolutely yeah, yeah and and but then once he and then of course he went through this whole thing with mason of islam but once he got out of that once he saw through it and he became his own man mm -hmm. and and went back to you know being shabazz uh then he it, that was when they had to get rid of him because that guy was a was an obama with the right message and and that's that's why the malcolm had to die but i want i want to make this bigger point here so everything I attack is what the left have attacked on us that that as a management consultant, I go, ah, I see you're attacking this. So I'll give you an example. Hollywood. So I made a movie, Bleeding Blue. Amazing film. It, it corrected the police narrative that police are killing black people willy nilly. They called it an epidemic. And I, and I said in a bunch of TV interviews, if it's an epidemic, why do you Negroes keep naming the same six black people getting killed all the time? Name me some new Negroes, right? And nobody can. It's good. Oh, well, it was Michael Brown Jr. and, 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 and Philando Kist and, and Eric Garner. Okay, so you've been talking about them for eight years. Who else? Go, go, go. By the way, do you know who got killed yesterday right here in your own city by other black folks? Can you name any of those? Right. Yeah, right. Silence. So we, we made that movie for that. We're making mules because the left says, we didn't cheat. And I go, yeah, what if I show you undercover video that you did? So that's to get rid of that narrative. Yeah. I, you know, everything we do attacks whatever those lying scumbags say. Because why? Because I'm a fighter. And because I'm not a for Kevin, they're going to fire you at Fox. Freaking fire me. See if I care. You can't stop 
somebody with a message and is the power in which I'm willing to deliver it and the passion in which I'm willing to fight for it. And let me tell you, I used to get death threats once a day for a year, for more than that, for three years. Mm -hmm. And you know what I said to every one of them? Show up and watch who dies. I, I've said you guys know my address. I, I I got the death threats all the time for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of it was just for being a Trump supporter, just because I was his Trump supporter. Is that not amazing? And what was crazy is I've been pretty centrist on so many issues because I'm just like so many Americans. I'm pretty centrist on a lot of stuff. Uh, it, but people just th thought I was a bat, batshit crazy <laughs> radical because I was supporting Trump. And I was like, you know, I don't care about his hair and I don't care about his tone and I don't care about... I don't care about his rambling diction or his tweets. I actually like that he talks right to me. I'm <laughs> me cool too. with it. Like, I'm so glad that he doesn't run everything that he wants to say by some public policy. Yes. George Washington University expert. He Absolutely. just says it. I love that he got up at the podium and was just kind of working. He would spitball some ideas. Yeah, maybe we'll get this Space Force going. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I'm going to talk to the people about that. You know what I mean? And then, and then you know, like eight months later, we have it's like, a, oh, we got a space for Because, you know, he's working. He's up there working. You know, like he would sit around a table if you were a working group and you were working ideas. He was just working. Um, Look, that, you got you to gotta love that, that the honest, you know, right or wrong, you know, and you may not agree with it even. But the, again, getting to know the psychology of people is, is very simple. Whoever is your best friend. Why? You know him. Oh man, we grew up and we knew each other since third grade. Why? You, what? The reason why you cried funerals because somebody who knew you intimately died and you, you know, that's gone. That connection is gone. Right. That's why that I don't care who it is. Whatever endears you to somebody is the more, you know, the more you, re, you, you probably looked me up and say, Oh, he's a martial artist. You found out the things that made us have commonality. There was probably even some bro thing we felt just from seeing each other. Cause people tell me all the time, were you military? No, but I've, I've been around them. Well, you can sense it. Right. I Okay, so I actually didn't look anything up about you at all. Bobby whispers you a few suck. things as I walk down the hall because I'm such an. <laughs> I mean, I was down there turning stuff on the lathe while you were getting your tour. You know, um, Bobby's like, all right, he's like, he's got a lot of things to come with you. You guys are guys are like brothers from a different mother. Um, but you know, uh, Bobby's hipping you man. In, in, an, in an entire room, though. You know, there were 400 people there at that layman event, and you and I standing up next. We ended up standing next to each other, chatting. There's something about maybe your posture or the way you engage the room with your eyes. I uh, had a familiar feel like from my tribe. Yeah. You know, and I, I, you know what I found during the Trump presidency? Because, listen, my family, longtime South Carolina, Irish, National Slave Registry. I mean, <laughs> there's a... There's, on one side of my family, there's this old Southern... You are forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> there's an old Southern American part on half my family. And my grandfather, who came out of Texas after the big dust bowl, he was a you know he was a cattleman, and he came here and became a cop. Ah, okay. Married a woman here, and they opened the first integrated restaurant in Chandler, Arizona. Wow. Um, he was a Democrat. He was pretty ballsy, loved America. He was a fireman and a cop during World War II. And, um, you know, a lot of the stains in the language and in the thinking from those times. And I, I'm the generation that kind of started pumping the brakes on all that as everything became more global and we started to see each other more and be more self-aware, I suppose. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come out of poverty, you're not as self-aware. You're just trying to not be poor. 
Well, and, there's, and then, a, there's and, another element to that too, man. Look, it's not just, so you take some, you know, corn fed white boy from Appalachia and that's all he knows. He knows his tribe. And then he suddenly sees something different. It isn't that there's a, I mean, he's not racist. It's new. And, right. and, and depending upon what that new is, if, if it, in other words, if somebody has never seen a black person and they see one and he's in a suit and he's very articulate or whatever, that's what they will. Wow. The black people are seem to have suits and they're very articulate. That's what they're going to. But right. if they see a guy who's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and this and he's committing a crime or something, they're going to go, man, those black people seem to have a criminal. Element. So it's what you're exposed to. Right. I've changed more hearts and minds of people that had an idea about black folks. And by the way, I ain't trying to change anybody's mind. You meet me, you get to know me. I happen to be black and I'm proudly black, but I will change your mind about how you may have thought about all other blacks because you go, I, I used to think this about black folks and I met this one guy and that's the, that one guy can have that kind of an impact. And here's the problem. We don't have enough people really exposing that one guy to the people that are out there. Well, well, you know, the the black community in this country has been on the liberal. It's been locked up in the liberal plantation, really. It's been locked it's, up on the Democrat plantation, yeah. but we are conservatives. It, you know, it's it's funny at at the core, more believing in in you know in Jesus. Yep. Um, not, Education. I mean, if, if you look at you know, I love listening to Thomas Sowell talks about literacy rates from Emancipation Proclamation up to 1960 amongst African-Americans, greater than white Americans, marriage rates greater than white Americans, yeah. success rates, fantastic, literacy rates greater than white Americans, and then the uh, beginning of the welfare state, yep. you see the collapse. The, the, as the, the great society. The great society steals the culture that was suit and education, and education is the freedom and... And, and, uh, and the destruction of the family. yeah. And that all happens almost simultaneously, and everyone wonders what happened. Yeah, there's it, it, no secret to it. You know what I was going to say is I was alluding to earlier. I, you know, I confronted a bunch of stains in my lineage mm -hmm. during the Trump presidency, as I'm getting called a racist by everybody. And what I found out was through talking to a couple of my friends who were black, he's like. Yeah, Greg, we don't think you're racist. We think you're kind of a classist. And as it turns out, I started, you know, what I started to notice about myself was you take your average 65-year-old Jewish white lady. I have disdain for her because everything she believes and holds in her little butterfly heart, which may have been good for raising kids, is bad for my country. Mm -hmm. And your Nigerian 28-year-old that owns a restaurant in St. Louis I have so much in common with him. Mm -hmm. I found out I, as I was listening, and it was Trump putting the Guatemalan automotive repair guy up whose shop got shut down because of COVID and a Nigerian immigrant and these folks that don't look anything like me that barely speak English. And I go, oh, they sound like my grandfather, the Greek immigrant. And I found I had more in my, my, I found what I really like and what I'm, I'm prejudiced against people that, aren't into personal accountability. It didn't I, matter what color I don't think that's class, is. though, man. I think that's a, you're a culturist. 
It's you know? a little bit of uh, yeah. It's a little bit of both. Well, no, like you, I like you, people who struggle for success. I like people who but, really but work. But classes is somebody like there's the elites, right? That snub their noses at everything. You know, you, you may be right. You may be onto something. Yeah. Maybe and then I, there's people that are low class. They're just you know you don't want to hang. You probably don't want to hang with either one of them. Probably not. <laughs> right. But but it's really a culture. There's a culture that you gravitate to. Somebody that. You know, worked hard, you know, appreciates what they have. It doesn't matter. You could come from high class, but there are people even at the high class. These are the real tough the guys here you don't want to mess with because these are the guys that come from elites, families, but they still want to work. Like, an, and I don't know, like an Elon Musk, but, you know, I don't know what is back. Trump. Trump's a good example. Trump came from money. But he worked. He still wanted to work. That's the guy that you got to worry about outdoing you. Because normally, right. the way class changes is the kid like it's me one or the other. that grows up poor. He says, "I'll outwork that rich boy, and then I'll get there." And then his kids, trust me, in two generations, three generations, it's flipped. Yeah, it's the there's a escalator going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when you got both, that's that's a winning combo. That's the winning combo. So you look at a guy like Musk, who I don't know his background, but he, I, I don't think he came from poverty. But this is a guy that dreamed, man, and he, I mean, I can't imagine what what's next in his brain. Right. So, you know, look, I, I, guys like us are not concerned about, I don't care how much money you make. I, it's, what are you, I, I'll put it this way. I, I didn't know very much about you before I got here, but the respect level went high. Why? Because I walk in here and I go, holy crap, you know, you have built an amazing company. And then I find out you're a damn Marine and, you know, and you got you're paying homage to the service, which is, you know, you got me right there because I, I I know what these guys went through for my freedom. So and I, we, I went to the Marine Military Academy and trained special forces guys. So I know what this is all about. Yeah, that's the. So why do we gravitate? Because ultimately we go, oh, we got that in common and that in common and that we have martial arts in common. We got this in common. Yeah. And so you, that's not that's culture. Yeah. So I, I might be a cultural, a culturist, a culturalist, <laughs> but it, you know, it's been interesting to see, uh, you know, when your simple things are in simple, you know, when you're younger, things are in simpler terms. Yeah. And as you get more mature, or as you get more wisdom, as time goes by, you start to, you know, Hey, why do I think that way? Where is that coming from? What do, what do I have? Um, you know, I'm, I'm prejudiced against ghettoishness. Oh, I hate it. But I don't care about color, but you don't care about ghetto whether it's but i don't like what i don't like wiggers <laughs> you know what i'm saying i mean if, if you're one of these dudes that's gonna ro- walk up on me and eminem me you know okay, I, I gotta tell you a funny story <laughs> so i go into a uh I, I i went to a uh a friend of mine's brother was having a gallery opening and we go to the gallery opening and it's a nft gallery so it's like the first one in the country mm-hmm. right so i go into this nft gallery and it's a really hip crowd and uh when I get there, there's like some of Snoop Dogg's people are there. It's a super hip crowd, and there is a cloud of weed in the air. You know what I mean? It is a, there is a layer of 420 at eye level. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like total square. You know I'm like, and, and then there is a complete straight-up wigger rapping to the crowd. Oh, no, and I was like, this is so bizarre. It was a half-black crowd with this skinny white rapper, and he wasn't really very good. Yeah. And, and I was like, man, what's fucking weird time warp my standing in right now is bizarre uh, you know it's funny uh i you know i guess my point talking about the, the whole thing that happened during trump where people were being irrationally called racists 
just because of the support of a political figure who I didn't see any racist thing There's in him at all, any, quite yeah. frankly. Um, you, you start to do all this self-examination. I guess maybe the last six years, there's been a ton of self-examination. Like, you know, why do I think the way I do? Really? You did that? You... Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, is, is this heaping critique towards me? Does it have merit? And, you know, let me be introspective about it. And I, I just said, God, you know, I learned so much about myself and it didn't really have anything to do with race at all at, at any point. Well, there's a part of me that's, I'm always glad when people look at themselves, but there's another part of me that says that you know who you are. I mean, there's, I, I'm always looking at myself, right? Because yeah. there's this self-awareness, but yeah. but there's not anything the left's going to tell me that's going to rock my world. Like, Kevin, you haven't known all this time that you're homophobic. And I go, well, first of all, phobic means I'm afraid of gays and I'm certainly not afraid of them. That, I mean, that's the way my mind would work. Yeah. I'm not afraid of them. Now, if you're saying that I have something against them, okay, so let's go there. So let's say that I do not like the gay lifestyle and I look at a homosexual couple and I go, that's weird to me. I can only believe that you have to call them heterophobic because they look at my lifestyle and it's weird to them. Right. So you're not going to make my guilt any worse than them. Just because I like women and this dude likes another dude and he finds what I do freaky and I find what he does freaky. Okay, cool. We're both a bunch of freaks in each other's ideas. But at the end of the day, I don't care what he does. What's crazy about it is I would I know anybody in cursory fashion would listen to me and think that I'm homophobic. And <laughs> <laughs> and and I honestly couldn't care less about any of that. I stuff. I think that's most of us, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that you know, and that's one of the things I've noticed. Like you know, now you get over a certain age, like guys seventy five plus. It was a, it was a different world. They they come from a different time, and they've got a different. They're they're uh, magma solidified in a different polarity of yeah. the universe. Now I'm like, oh man, I don't care at all. I really just don't want them to raise my taxes and make my gas really expensive. I just don't want you to think you're <laughs> special because you're gay. You know, I I do a joke when we do where I have a, the unapologetically American comedy tour. And I do a joke and I about the not gay, men, the NGMW. And I said, the only way we're going to fight the LGBT is we have to have initials. So we have the NGMW, the not gay man, woman. And I go, and we can also take the Q because people can be questioning no matter what. So we'll take the Q and or queer. If you want to think of it as queer, it's questioning, but queer. So there's some queer, there's some very queer people that are heterosexuals. Yeah. Okay. And then I said, and then I'm going to fight them over the T's because the trannies, you know, when they go one direction or the other, if you date, if you become a, a woman, but you want to date men, well, you, maybe you should be part of the NGMWQT versus the other guy. So I'm going to do a lawsuit. Again. So it's a whole routine over this thing and then I ask people you sir are you a member of the NGMW and I go and it, well no and I go well why not you, you you appear to be heterosexual you appear to be not gay are you not gay sir do you have any children yeah is this your wife then I want to out this man right now he's not gay <laughs> and I go be proud because you remember the time it was oh I'm so proud you know so and so it just came out because and they wanted will and grace seriously and so they're coming out, and I'm so proud of them. And I, one of them was this guy, uh, Jason Collins. He comes out. Obama sends him this thing. Oh, I'm so proud of you for coming out. Get this. Guy is dating a chick for two years. Fiance. 
makes her think he's going to marry her, and then he comes out as gay. They say he's the first gay basketball player, which he wasn't. Brittany Griner was, but we don't count the WNBA, so there you are, sexist, right? But he congratulates this guy for coming out after he dupes this woman for two years, making her think he's going to marry her. Now, I don't call that uh, pride. I don't call that, who you're so brave. I call that a coward. Because he should have known what he was and said, yeah, I'm gay. And not dated this chick for two years. Mm. But So I, my routine was based on, I, well, I guess if you can be proud for be duping people, I'm going to be proud for, to be not gay. So that's what I like. I, like I said, I want to challenge conviction. You, you tell me, oh, this actress just came out. Who in Hollywood isn't making, when you come out in Hollywood, they, they roll out the red carpet for you, for God's sake. That's not tough anymore. Now, in the 1950s, if you came out, maybe you deserved a trophy. Sure. But you don't deserve a trophy today because I'm, I'm gay. I just want to announce I'm bi. I will, bye-bye. You know, uh, the, the country's changed a whole bunch, and, and the line has moved a bunch. And people jump across old barriers, and, and I'm unimpressed by it now. Um, I My thing is the most inclusive people that have ever existed in all of human existence are the normal white heterosexual male in this country. Yeah. There has never been a more inclusive group. Um, did Was the club closed for some time? Yeah, it was. But look who's in the club now. Everybody. Yeah. Who's the least inclusive? LGBTQ crowd. They're the least inclusive people on planet Earth. Yeah. If you're not their way, their time, their day, you're against them. I'll tell you who's catching bizarre. up. Though. Who's catching up is uh, is black folks. When I was a kid growing up. Catching man, up how? Catching up and being non-inclusive. Uh, when I was a kid, I was raised by my grandparents, and they would talk about white folks, you know, but if a white person needed help, they'd stop. You know, and, and we one time we picked up this hitchhiker kid. Guy, he's probably 23 or so. My brother and I were probably 12 and 13. And we pick him up because we he's got a gas can. We His truck broke down. It was okay. his 18-wheeler. So we're going to San Antonio. We pick this guy up, and he jumps in the back seat. And he's real talkative. And he's like, yeah, truck broke down. You know, just decided to be a trucker, you know, because uh, I was doing this menial job. And I was making, you know, eight bucks an hour or whatever. And then they were paying of x amount per year he i remember him saying like he was making four bucks an hour and they were these guys were paying twenty one thousand a year he goes so i was like ah, i'm gonna take that twenty one thousand a year and we you know he with him for seven minutes till we got him to the gas station and we dropped him off and as soon as he gets out of the car my grandmother says did you she looked in the back seat did you hear him talk about his job and we were like well yeah she said he didn't talk about ours he talked about what he made per year and she started lecturing us about how this guy His thought mindset. differently than the way we you know we, we're taught to think so but first of all we stop and pick up a white dude right and then she tells us the lesson of the white guy mm. now people don't tell you that they want you to think that all black people, number one, would have just driven right by him. And number two, wouldn't have given a care in the world, would have said, disregard what he said. No, my grandparents picked him up and got and told us a lesson from him. So to your point, yeah, there's a white guy that doesn't even realize he, how he, in that one moment, he imprinted on us. And let me tell you, as God is my witness, I never forgot that lesson. When I'd hear people talk about their salary per hour, I go, what's that per year? Yeah. And I go, uh, is that, are you salaried or non-salaried? 
you know, because I already had the mindset that I didn't want to have a job where they where you broke it down an hour. Right. I wanted to. You make forty seven thousand a year. Now it's it's still got an hourly rate tied to it, but I didn't think about it. Yeah. And that little moment, that little glimmer, is is the way people learn, and how the black culture can learn. But let me. So going back to the racism, we used to be we pick you up, we learn the lesson. And now my grandmother called them patties and crackers and what have you when she was mad. But her best friend was a white woman. Now, I'm I'm noticing all these different things. I know. And I heard this stuff going on, right? too, and the language on the other side of the barrier. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know? yeah, but, but, but there are people that will call a black man, you know, by the N-word, right? But then we'll tell you, but old Charles, man, he, he can count on Charles and he'll be a black guy. The, the, there's the, even the dichotomy between what somebody says about this group, but they go, but that Kevin or that Billy or that Ray, you know, they, there's always an exception. That, well, that used to be such a good word to define bad behavior. It was, used to be. And uh, and, yeah. and I had heard that, like when I was in the Marine Corps, most of the guys were black. <laughs> and, you know, when I, when I went through boot camp, most of the guys were black. Now, you get in the infantry, most of the guys were white. Yeah. But when I was going through boot camp, it was... I had never lived with three quarters black guys before. I was like, oh my God. Well, the guys totally liked me because I just said what was ever on my mind right. and I didn't speak like a Northeasterner. They were always very skeptical of Northeasterners. I was a Westerner, so I would just kind of say what's up. And they're like, all right, never you can come with us, you know. Um, but, it, it, you know, there used to be these, you, know, you can't use these words anymore. Um, I mean, even you, you, you say the N no, word. No, I, 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 if, if, if it weren't for, I don't know who's going to hear this, but I, yeah, yeah, well, give me this, cause I'll it, say it. Yeah, I know. I, I'll say it. Yeah, I, <laughs> you, you want me to say it? No, you're Richard Pryor. <laughs> I'll say it right now. No, but <laughs> you know, what's happened is that word is, it's defining in reverse to everybody who says it now, instead of. I mean, I was explained to this by an old black guy when I was a kid. He's like, mm -hmm. oh, no, there's those types, and then there's black folk. Yeah. And I, well, and, Chris Rock says it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he says, there's black people, and then there's niggas. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense to me. Like, <laughs> those guys stand around the 55-gallon drum who just broke into that place, and they're doing drugs right now. Yeah. Those are one kind. <laughs> right. And then those guys over there working, they're another kind. I was like, okay, yeah. fair enough. I didn't actually think it was like. Well, taking, taking your metaphor a little farther, the people who, the Sharptons, the Jacksons, the D. Ray McKessons, those guys, those are the niggas, right? Those are the guys that we look at and I, that I look at and go, you're a troublemaker. Now, it, they're not breaking into places or whatever, but they are minimizing us. They're infantilizing us, the black the black community. I think they're the worst racist against well, black people in the country. They, they, they are, and they don't think that. And, and but going so they, I'm gonna take care of you because you can't take care of yourself. I'm gonna speak for you because you can't speak. But, for yourself. But understand that's the guy with his hand up his butt, the, the puppet master who is that white leftist who really is the worst racist on the planet. Yeah, that's the guy that says, yeah, okay. Kevin, Kevin, somebody needs help. You government needs help. You, you. can't get your driver's license. Of course not. That, the voting laws are no, crazy. Of course not. No. Yeah, I had to get dropped off by a white dude just to come do this interview. <laughs> can't drive over here. Oh, you got a white driver? <laughs> Thank God nice. for Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's indian his name is uber oh my god yeah no it's kind of bizarre uh everything with the left seems to be some topsy-turvy upside down land it's all the opposite of what they say they you know they're literally colluding with china and with ukraine and with russia and they're mm -hmm. accusing the opposite of doing it yeah everything that they, they accuse everyone of being racist 
while they're actually being racist. Oh, blatantly in your face racist. What is environmental equity? I mean, if you look at the amount of money that went towards environmental equity in this bill that got passed a few days ago, yeah. it's it's billions, billions and billions of dollars. Of dollars. Yeah, and it some, doesn't make any sense. On something that's just a made-up term because when they want to jack with the lexicon, they just make something up and people go, what is environmental equity? I don't know, but we're spending $47 billion on it. It must be something. Okay, well, let's just all move along. No, tell me what that's supposed to That Now, guess what? All the conversation, I don't know if you've heard the latest uh, mashup or supercut where they all are, all these lefties are going, but it's an inflation reduction act, but it really doesn't appear to be doing anything to reduce inflation. It seems like it's very it's misnamed. It seems like they put the name on it to make it feel like it. And so all these supercuts of these pundits saying what we already knew. Right. Joe Biden doesn't care about inflation and he has no solution for it. And, and he doesn't even know where he of lives course right not, now. Man. He's... So it's the Politburo of kids and Ron Klain and the youngsters around him. That it's 35 year olds writing these policies, yeah. but. But here, let's let's take this to another uh, level. So we we're both Trump supporters in the sense of I like his policies. Yeah. And I was with Trump a month and a half ago. Funny deal. He's like, Kevin, get up here and get this picture. You know, we, we had a good time together. So I know the man. But here's what's interesting to me. So we have they and this has to do with Liz Cheney getting her butt kicked. So Liz Cheney gets her butt kicked two to one. She won 73% last time she gets her butt kicked 2-1. to one. Biggest loss in, uh, in the last 100 years in the Senate. Everybody's watching Wyoming, this little bitty state with a House of Rep that really uh, should be reps, me yeah. meaningless, right? Yeah. She should be meaningless. Right. But we're all watching it. And they're watching it for one reason, because they want to see if it's a repudiation of Trump or her. One of the Well, right. we got the answer. Yeah. Now, leading up to this, what are they telling us? Trump, uh, he's people have got Trump fatigue. Uh, DeSantis can be Trump. They're they, trying to tell us this stuff. It's all bullshit. It's complete bullshit. So Trump yet again proves you're full of shit. I, I'm just, I'll show you in this race, and he's done. There's ten people that went after him. Four of them are de gone, politically dead. Four quit because they were politically dead, yeah. and there's two left with the heads that Trump's waiting to. Put. He's got the spots in his trophy room. I, I think he is playing chess right now. He is like, <laughs> make sure I. Oh, Bobby, what's going on? You hit, you hit the, uh, you unplugged it. Wow, what are the odds of that? <laughs> There's two buttons, one on each side. I hit the wire on the bottom, they both popped up. And he blames Bobby. I'm like, Bobby, Bobby, what's going Bobby, on? what'd you do? <laughs> um, it, it's pretty amazing. It, it, I think he's playing this chess game. You know, he hasn't announced yet because I think it gives him a little freedom. It also lets him toy with everybody. Um, but he's making sure he's got a house and a Senate that are, on, that are conservative before he goes in. I think he's like, I'll do another <laughs> run if I don't have to deal with impeachments. If I have to deal with impeachments, I'm not going to. Oh, run. man, I don't think Trump, I mean, I'm going to disagree. I don't think Trump cares about any of the issues that are, Trump wants back in, and this time he will come in, he, he's going to come in with like a wrecking ball. Okay, so let's talk for a second, because uh, you were at the thing up in Prescott, right? I was, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, I didn't go to his rally, no. A have you watched any of his rallies lately? He looked a little, I wasn't sure if he was looking a little low energy, or if he's just like, hey, it's chill time right now, I don't need it. Like, what's, what do you think's up? You think he's got as much, how, how does he seem personally? So I saw him in Mar-a-Lago, and I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. I was like, man, he, he looks a little worn. Now, keep in mind, this dude's approaching 80. Right. Now, he's been looking like he's in his 50s. And Trump is the only president that held, that didn't look like he aged 15, 20 years when he got out. Yeah. But I, I, think he, I think there's a part of him that's tired, but he gets energized. 
uh, at the thought of what they did. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. They asked Trump, what do you, what's the w one thing that you weren't planning on when you, this is like six months in. And he says, you know, I didn't think that they would continue to come at me as hard. And I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. essentially I didn't yeah. think that it would be this much vitriol. And I remember looking at him going, you know, well, now you know. Because what Trump was saying is, if I do my job, they'll like me. Because most people do. And they didn't. And they didn't. Well, this time, when he gets back in, I think he knows there is no way to win him over. You saw what the swamp did to you. Saw, watch what and the FBI fuck did. You guys. I'm about to put some elephant ding ding in you, man. Oh, I think, <laughs> like, the FBI thing is just blowing my mind yeah. right now. Them doubling the size of, of, the, uh, of the IRS. IRS? Um, that's freaking me out a little bit. I'm like, what, what is going on here? And you know, we are, our government's already the largest, we have more employees in the federal government than there are citizens in about a hundred countries, <laughs> more federal employees. I mean, it's, it's broken. That's wrong. They're not making stuff. They're taking stuff. You know, again, I, I, I put on a management consulting hat and I look at, the redundancy when Trump came in, he looked at the bureau, the different departments that do the same damn thing. And you could clean this thing up so fast. What we have is a, an organism that is set on auto feed and it's, it gets bigger and bigger. It's almost like it's an AI that's become sentient that says I must find things. Did you ever see the fifth element? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You remember they, they were encountering that mass and they would shoot missiles at it and it would grow it's bigger. Right. This is what it feels like to me. Well, that, because that's what it is. So the, my only question is, and I'll ask you this. Do you think, is there any way to get it back? Yeah. Or, or is it just going to have to be a revolution and we kind of start again? America part two. Well, so the uh, my short answer is yes, you can get it back. But after learning what I learned and how they cheated, and, and I'm going to encourage people to see beyond the mules because we show you what they did. If I hadn't seen that, I would have thought easy to get it back. Now that I've seen how they coordinated and orchestrated and combined in the uniparty to do what they did. Yeah. And the reason why they had to get Trump, Trump got between them and their money. Right. Donald Trump. He was pumping the brakes on was the saying, train. Whoa, man. Whoa. You all these trade. Uh-uh. And and that's and he and he is us. He's us. He represents us. He's the guy that's willing to jump in front and take that bullet. I've never seen anything like it in my whole there life. There has been nothing like it. Not, I, I mean, I, not in modern time. I get you know people say, how could you be emotional about Trump? The idea of somebody actually fighting for us for real. Well, and see, think about your background, my background. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I I sense this is the same as you. I'm the guy. A, a dude hits a girl. I'm up oh, and yeah. it's, you know, I'm the guy that go, I mean, whatever it is, if the, if the, if somebody's messing with, I was in a bar one time, this dude accidentally spilled a drink on a guy. He's a mousy little dude, big Italian guy grabs him by the throat. Oh, it's gotta be an Italian. This is like a Rocky episode. He, he wasn't a big Italian dude. He's a, a big lefty man. And he was, he had his arm like, I mean, he's getting ready to punch his kids lights out. And I saw this thing developing <clears throat> and I get, I'm waiting on friends. I go over, he's getting ready, he's got his left arm getting ready to punch, and all I did was squeeze, his, squeeze him right here, and it stopped him. He, you know, he did like that, and he looked back, and by, when he looked back, I was six feet from him. I tapped him, and I was six feet back, looking at him with the stare of, don't try that with me. 
And this kid was like ready to pee his pants. And anyway, they, they kicked the kid out. And I, the, I talked to the owner of the bar. I'm like, that's the guy you should have kicked out. And they're looking at me. There's four of them at the table. And I mouthed to him, it won't go your way. Hmm. And but, but the point I'm making is, I've always been that guy that says, I'm going to stand up for the guy that gets wronged or the girl that gets wronged. And it's in us. It is bred in us, man. I don't know what it was. I think I just like to fight, and it gave me an excuse because my dad told me I won't get in trouble if I'm sticking up for somebody when I was a kid. Yeah. So uh, I, I was just telling a friend the other day there was this bar in town that had burned down since, and, you know, it was it – was, they were telling me about an incident they saw a, a woman being hit. I said, yeah, I saw a gal get slapped by a dude, and it was like a full-on – like slap across the face wow. and she went down like at an angle and yeah. steady st steady yourself well i came across the pool table with the ball in my hand hit this guy in the face and his hand hadn't even finished falling through yet i mean i was already like flying through the air but i was like seemed totally reasonable at the time yeah right. in, in, in retrospect <laughs> it wasn't the best move and then and then the crazy part was she was on top of me punching Mad me in the head yeah, afterward. I've, I've, i was like all right maybe i yep i've had was, that happen that damsel too. that damsel didn't need rescue it, it, it doesn't always work no no <laughs> Yeah. But but you know, um, and I, I know this is gonna sound really crazy, and it's not because you're here. You're black. I'm wearing this racist shirt, and I've been called a racist <laughs> so many times. If you see Martin Luther King and the people who are around him, and the looks on their faces, like he's speaking for us. Somebody's speaking for us. Yeah. I had that. I have that kind of feel. Not about color. Mm -hmm. Just about when when Trump speaks. You mean? Yeah, talking, he's sticking up for Americans, all yeah. of us, no matter what color we are out here, just trying to work and hold on to our money so that we can raise our kids' station in life and just make the world a better place. It seems like at every world, the I know better than you people are taking all of our money and squandering it. Yeah, of course they are. And and he's the only guy I've ever had. I felt like he stuck up for me uh, in my business, in my personal, I'm like every in every way. Yeah, well, it's probably because he is. Like I said, I, I, the closest one that we point back to is Reagan. And I can tell you this. I said this on my show the other day. I said Reagan could not have withstood what Trump has withstood. No. Nope. I mean, as, as, as good as he is, he couldn't. And uh, they would have gotten to him. And I said Trump was the right guy for the right time. And here's what bugs me. What bugs me is you have a guy that will do that and... I have people call me, talk to me, text me, tweet me, you know, whatever. And they say, well, man, I don't know about Trump. And I mean, I, I, I will admit, you know, it seems like there's always something, blah, blah, and, and they're going on and on and on. And I say to myself, so you have a warrior who came in, said, against all odds, because they, they the cheat was in in 2016. Yeah. He wins. He tells Obama, I'll save Kerry. Obama's like, hey, what's he going to do? Wait, 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 my magic wand. And, and, and Trump goes, yeah, boom, Carrier saved. Then he brings manufacturing back that Obama says was no, get used to the new normal. We're not going to be right. able to do this. He right. does it. Then he gives all this money back, taking all the bureaucracy out of, you know, nonsense. And, and so people start getting automatic companies give raises beyond minimum wage, well beyond. They give um, money, but they were getting re you know, bonuses and stuff because of Trump. Yeah. Unemployment dips. Uh, you know, consumer. Korea calms down. Korea, we, we, at the, at the parallel. Iran calms These two down. go here. Iran calms down. China gets in check. Russia's in check. I mean, you couldn't, at, terrorism pretty much stops, I mean, in America. Yeah. 
everything you could ask for, this guy gives you. And we have people in our party that go, well, I think we need somebody new. Meanwhile, on the left, they have a demented guy that's had three brain surgeries. He's got a history of it. His son died from a from brain you know, cancer. His other son is a crackhead who runs the family's crooked enterprise and gives 10% to the big guy. He's got a narcissistic wife who just all she cares about is I'm the first lady. Uh, he's taking showers with his daughter and they still want him. You, you, we should be kicked in the ass for anybody that says I don't want Trump should get a fucking you know, I'll keep a punch in the face. Absolutely. I know. I feel it all the time. I'm like, okay, um, where can I stack your butt? <laughs> I mean, can, can you put a more you know stark contrast between yeah. and and we're ready to give our guy up? Well, let's try DeSantis. Look, I love Ron. DeSantis. I was with Ron next time. Ne look, make Ron a VP. Let him see the inner, the ugliness of what goes on. Then give him two terms as president and, and watch what he does. Right. Sounds good. But I don't want to get rid of I love Orange Man with great hair. Hey, man. I'm there. I love him. But he, but I want to be very clear. I, it's not an I, I'm in love with no man. I'm in love with the homophobe. <laughs> I, I'm totally. Touche. Touche. Yeah. <laughs> look, I, here's my thing. It's like if somebody to say, man, what do I think about you? I would say that dude and I, we get along. It's not a love. It's not a love I know what you mean. for you per se, right? It's a love of what you represent yeah. to me. Yeah. And so that's what Trump, I, I, man, I was hanging with Trump. He, get up here, Kevin, get a picture. You know, get a picture, get Kevin, get a picture. You know, but we're buddies. But it, it's it's what he does that, that resonates with me, right? He I I'll tell you I I miss watching him work. It is he was so much fun. Like, You're a groupie, man. I miss the total groupie. I miss the press conferences. I mean, I just love. No, I'm not going to do that. Now, what kind of stupid question do you have? You fake me? news. Yeah. Oh, good. Question from fake news. Go ahead with your phony question. <laughs> no, no, no. Clearly, I'm the smartest guy in the room. I mean, just to say something like that is awesome. Yeah, I loved him. I miss him. I want him back soon. Oh, well, man. listen, I've got my fingers crossed. Uh, I've got my fingers crossed that he makes it through the next two years and he's still solid and 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 uh, and ready to kick it. I think he will. I, I think Trump's been sent here by God, man. I really do. And, um, you know, he got cheated. I, I know he got cheated. My movie will prove that. But um, when's your movie come out? Trying to get it out in the next before the midterms. Uh, I got my first uh, funding for it. It's not enough, but we'll, we got another fundraiser coming up here locally that should give me the money to finish it. I hope to, it does. If they give me that, I'll finish it before the midterms, and we'll, you know. How much money do you need? Uh, it's probably another 150 Oh, it's not much. No. And, and, and then uh, it, it, are you doing that, like, through a movie studio? or I, I have well, a studio. You oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. So you're doing all the editing and production we, of we, it? We do everything, yeah. Right. We, we make movies. That's what I was going to tell you. So when you ask me what I do, I'm attacking Hollywood. Why? Because when I put my movie out, they the distributors didn't want to take it. Hollywood said, "You put, you take him, you lose us." The, the theaters didn't want to take it. Had theater owners tell me, "I don't like what you put in there." What? The truth. So I said, "Okay, I'll go around you." So I, I put it up on its own site, but then I built the Flick Fest, and I said, "I'm going to go out. Any conservatives making films, bring them here." Now it's not a conservative site. It's it's a site for great movies. And all the films that are on there are festival winners, but and mostly shorts. But I wanted a, a venue where pe 
the Kevin Sorbo, who's one of my partners, by the way, has a place to go and doesn't have to worry about not making a living. You know, we can we can build a Hollywood better than Hollywood and not even miss them. I guarantee you we could do it. People don't know this. When Adele dropped her record, the last uh, uh, song she did, it was big. Everybody's waiting on it. Eminem was dropping one at the same time. It was a white pro-Trump rapper who outsold every one of them. The day they dropped Adele, this dude outsold her. People don't even know who he is. We have so much talent and ingenuity and stick to itness and persistence of the left. There's nothing we can't attack that they do that we can't put them out of business if we just put our minds to it. The number one dollar in the world is a conservative American dollar, period. How many things do you do because you say, you know what? I like the guy to I have people go on my film site and they go, Kevin, I don't even watch movies. I'm, I'm, I'm one of your guys. I don't even watch movies. Take my money. They're not trying to cheat, figure out how to get 14 people to watch for the same amount of money. That's what leftists do. Conservatives will come to your thing and say, if I never watch a movie, keep, take my five bucks a month. No problem. That's who we are. So there's nothing we, if we put our minds to it and we want to get, we could get it from any of them. Boy, that is better when you get up close like that. Isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> get all very, very, very white, sexy. Hey, how yeah. you doing? It's Kevin. There's a whole new voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that. Uh, well, who's the who's the uh, comedian? You got the when you're Kevin back, Hart. Yeah, your, Kevin. your voice goes up. When let me, you, get let, it you know what's funny? You know what's funny? So I recorded a show, and one of my buddies called me up. He said, "Dude." He goes, if, are you listening to your show? It was on terrestrial radio. I go, why? He goes, you sound like Kevin Hart. I was shut up. He goes, he goes, segment whatever. He knows my radio show. So I went and listened to it. It was exactly like Kevin Hart. If you take my voice and you speed it up about 0.2, it's Kevin Hart. That's hilarious. It, it'd be like, yeah, man. And so we were talking about so and so, and then and brother said to me, "Did it? Now listen, what are we gonna do when I'm working with rock? I was in a movie. I mean, it, was, it blew my mind. We, honest to God, we sound. You speed me up, point two. I know. I was sitting there going, God, I don't, want to, I don't want to say the wrong name and have one of those moments. Okay, so is that kind of your big thing right now? Is a uh, movie and film production? No, so my big thing is um, I've got a. a a event coming up in the spring called no whites allowed and it's a it's a whole racism of the left the democrat and the left through the decades and how the eugenicist movement unions all in other words i'm going to show you the blatant racism of leftism and i'm calling it no whites allowed and it was in response to this white guilt thing they do every year up in wisconsin mm -hmm. where a bunch of guilty white people pay 500 bucks to go so sorry for being white you know it's <laughs> insane fucking bananas. it's bananas so i said well you know what i'm gonna get white people to pay 300 dollars to come understand you ain't that racist but it's great folks uh, congressman burgess owens uh senator tim scott ben carson brandon you guys know um you know it's it's heavyweights and also Vic da victor davis hansen so it's you know it's white folks too but i wanted black panelists it's white, it's white folks too. <laughs> we got we got that was awesome. Right, we got a couple of white people just to make sure people know that you can show up. No tokens, <laughs> right? We got some tokens. No, but but what I wanted was mostly black panelists talking about these issues from a black perspective. I thought you were gonna say pan panthers for a minute there. You said <laughs> panelists. I said okay, all right, all right. Mostly black panelists. <laughs> Uh, and you're gonna have Victor David Hansen on there. What did you? What did, so you round? It's a. It's so. It's a like a dinner. Everyone shows up, and then it's, it, a, it's a. It's a symposium. It's two days. Yeah. 
and we'll do what the right now the plan is we'll do 15 to 20 minutes on a topic like feminism and so somebody will just set the stage on feminism then we'll have a deep dive with blacks women and men who can and, and whoever it could be a white panelist too but it'll be people that are explaining how feminism killed the black culture we'll do something on unions and we'll talk about that we'll do something on abortion and we'll talk about that so it's all these topics that are people have no idea there's a ton of stuff that that it's all over politics and you don't see it most people don't mean we do there there's an iceberg below the surface of america and the iceberg is that when you pull black americans white americans and almost everybody when you pull them on principles we pull very Close. conservative and, yeah. and very similarly mm -hmm. When you poll us on politics, we're in the opposite corners of the building. Right. But when you poll us on how we're wired, and that's the trick, I think, for the modern conservative, is to cut through the surface of the water and get to the iceberg that's floating in the room. In a room full of Democrats, if you strip away talking about policy and you uh, ask them about their children, fairness and grades, how people should be treated... They pull. They 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 answer questions very similarly to conservatives. Well, I'll even go a step further. If you take a Democrat away from other Democrats and they just tell them the answer honestly, they're conservatives. Yeah, I a mean, lot of times. I mean, they 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 will tell you what the politically correct answer about. Well, I think that if a child tries, they should get a trophy. And then when you pull them aside and you say, "Yeah, but how's it work in life? I mean, are you going to get somebody going to reward you for that?" Well, I mean, I know, I know you're right, but you know. <laughs> no, yeah, my son's best coach. He didn't believe me. Right. Like they say that stuff. And you're like, well, how do you keep repeating this stuff? Be but because you get a star, man. You know, when you repeat the Democrat BS, you get a you get a trophy. Yeah, you get invited to the next deal or whatever. But this is what I tell everybody, man. This is my 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 rule for life. People ask me all the time. So, Kev, what what do you think is your best quality? And I'm going to tell you what my best quality is. I mean, besides the, I know you'd say, Kevin, there's too besides many. Besides your awesome handsomeness. Right. Besides all that yeah. that you see before you. Yes. But my best quality is, and this is what I tell my sons, I don't give a shit. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that <laughs> I don't care, you know, about, you know, doing the right thing or whatever, but I care more about pleasing myself than pleasing anybody else. And when you get to that point where you hold yourself to as a standard and, you know, and and a part of this came from my mother leaving, you know, dying when I was young and you you, you lose your mom and you're like, well, why do I got to care about you? Now, after a lot of therapy, I got to quit just throwing people away because that's what I would do. But in finally understanding myself and saying, look, you have there. There's good and bad in each of us. Right. We know what we are. But I, what I've learned is this. My bad isn't that damn bad. And most of my good friends they will t they'll say, yeah, well, you know how Kev is. And then we just move through it, right? If, if I say something, you say the wrong thing, and I go, what did you just say? Because I'm the guy that'll, like, if you tell a joke that I don't like or some, say, some, say the wrong thing about, like, my grandmother or something, I'm going to be the first guy doing it. And my friends will go, hey, ask Kev, because they know I'm going to be a split second, you know, asking you about it. But they overlook it. The same way I got a buddy that smokes weed, I don't smoke weed. 
But I know that's what he does. And I'm, when he smokes weed, I'm like, man, why you got to smoke that skunk stuff? Why you want to smell like a funky fat, funky fat homeless man, you know? And But we get past it because he has so many other good qualities. And what I've learned through all of that is I don't give a shit what you think about me. Now, do I want you to be friends? Yeah. But I'm not so caught up in it that you have to be my friend. Right. And when you learn how to do that and mean it, then your life changes dramatically because now it's you picking and you'll find you'll meet people that are identically the same. They'll go, Kevin has this quality. I don't like it, but that's OK. That's my boy. You know, it is uh, a little bit of devil may care. It's a little bit lonely because it, you can lose friends and family after you've made the tr transition. It's not lonely. Yeah. I've had to. As I made this transition in my, I, I lost a lot of folks who mm -hmm. were close to me. They weren't really that close. I was going to say, what, what do you? They did you a favor. I had a, I had a shift. Yeah. And so what I I shifted to more authentic friends. Okay, so which would you rather have? I, I believe me, I'd rather have the authentic friends. Let me tell you. Here's how I measure my friends. When I call, will you pick up? Will you bail me out of jail? Will you fight for me, or with me? Mm -hmm. That's it. If you and I are boys and you call me up, Kev, it's going down. Where we at? Give me the, give me the coordinates. I'm there. I, I don't need to understand what the fight's about, right? right. That's a friend. When I met my wife, I, I said, just out of curiosity, I kill somebody. What do we do? She said, I said, what's your next question? To, what's your question to me? Where do we put the body? I go, oh, bingo. Okay. All right. I swear to God. True story. I said. <laughs> okay, he's speaking in metaphor here, folks. <laughs> this is metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it was, you know, it was these little tests that you go, okay, see, that's a keeper. Yeah. So I, I they did you a favor. And and what I tell, this is a problem with the McCain's and the, I want to reach across the aisle. I'm not reaching across the aisle. It isn't because I'm dogmatic and I don't want, I know I don't like kid, people that molest kids. You know, I don't have to reach be, across the aisle. Reach that. across the aisle to yeah. understand the mind. No, I don't need to reach across the aisle. Uh, yeah, and I don't engage crazy either. And that's the that's a lot of what reaching across the aisle is. If someone says, "I want to burn down your house," which is what they've just done with this bill they just passed. Yeah, it's an attempt to burn down the house. I want to burn down the house. No, no, no. I want to play with gasoline and matches in the garage. And then I say. <laughs> that's gonna burn down the house. I go, no, it won't. It's just gonna be really it'll be warm. It'll be toasty. It'll be uh you could warm your hands by the fire. You're gonna burn down the house. There's no room for compromise on that. Right. And that's exactly what's going on. I'm sick of compromising. I, I don't mind compromising on an issue that's good for America. What I won't compromise on is myself to get there. And that's, and that's kind, what's going on. And that's kind of what I'm talking about yeah. is at some point. You got to know who you are and what you stand for. And you got to say, look, I may not be the, you know, the Mr. Perfect in all of this, but I know who I am and what this will do. And, and here's what's interesting about conservatism is we will do this at our own peril. We will make decisions that we go, this isn't good for me or my business, but it's good for the greater, it's for the greater good and mean it. And you're okay with it. I'm okay if you want to raise my taxes for the right reason. 
Okay, but I'm not going to want you to raise my taxes because you want to study the, pro the the mating habits of Chinese prostitutes. Right. I'm not going to let you take my money for the that. The racial equity of the Saguaro oh, forest. Exactly. Yeah. Did I'm you like what? I didn't realize that they were gender. You know, they were gender based. But of course, yeah, we got and, and even if they're not, we still got to study it, right? Because somebody posed a question. Yeah. That's the nonsense. So we got CRT. We got. Uh, you know all these gender studies we got women's studies we got re ethnic studies race studies i mean uh, uh, uh religious studies and all for what all be in a country that for the most go to your nearest sa safeway and see are we beefing you know when i see somebody of a different color or a different gender or whatever no. nobody's doing anything let me go let me ask you a question all right um i don't know what your communities like because you my you, community well i mean you've been raised as a texas ranch guy for god's sake <laughs> you, you know you're not from detroit um is your are your personal circles of friends uh more one color or the other no man so you know when i grew up in brady the little town i grew up in it was mostly white uh but you know my friends you know i still communicate with all of them but it was a predominantly white town white hispanic and black and it was probably uh, say 50% white, 30% Hispanic, 35% Hispanic, and 15% black, something like that. So I had more white friends, but my black friends, we we really were just all friends. We played sports together, et cetera. Yeah. You get to college, I went to college, I went to SMU. It was in Dallas, a lot of blacks, but the college wasn't a lot of blacks. So my college friends are a lot of athletes, so I had a lot of black friends there, but a lot of white kids too, more whites than blacks. I've lived in d decent neighborhoods you know I, I i didn't live in the hood after right. i got a certain age i lived in de my neighbors were mostly white the jobs that i worked were high tech you know that i was it was indians and and you know other asians and whites mostly because there's not a lot of blacks in high tech i got in high tech sales there's probably in my entire <laughs> career five maybe blacks in the, i mean in the entire in the ecosystem industry, yeah. right so yeah i'm around whites mostly but it didn't matter but here, what's interesting is i could go to the hood and i would go play bones play some dominoes with little hood rats right on the porch because i grew up that way so when you're around african-americans i don't do use that term but okay yeah. when you're around blacks do they say to you do they they do say what's up my nigga <laughs> do, do you get the comments about like uh, my whitest black friend or oreo cracker i mean a uh, coconut or any of that stuff no. or uncle tom do you get the uncle tom thing thrown at you no i get that from people that don't know me uh they you know they do that stuff. do you have family members that are hardcore democrats most of them yeah and yeah. how does that how does that go down with them so what's the interesting dynamic do they my, all know you're a crazy right winger they do yeah, yeah okay and what's interesting about that is when they need money, who do they call, right? The crazy white winger, right winger. Um, and what's I, I was going to ask you the nature of your engagement with them. Um, do you are you are are they getting converted by you or are they yeah. just entrenched in leftism? No, they get converted. I find I'm I'm finding that also. Yeah. Um, just keep making. You're converting the, my family too. Yeah, yeah, I am. Jeez, um, you're awesome. Yeah, I, no, I the, just the slow good argument not being hostile and they have no game i find liberals have no game anymore well, they've been repeating it so long but let me ask they don't you even with know you, anything you're talking about your family right I, or just people know, in general just people in general but as i encounter leftism they don't even know why they of course not they, so for instance they have abortion beliefs but they don't know anything about abortion 
They just have a belief that someone's told them is pro-woman, mm -hmm. but they don't have any of the underlying, so they can't even have a salient argument about it with you. Yeah. So when you start that, these gen and I've found to be very, very gentle, very gentle in my conversation with them and just kind of nudge and ask questions. And I find out usually in three questions, people don't know what they're talking about. They got a bunch of beliefs they learned off CNN uh, and, uh, and that when you talk facts with them, just really easy with them and you don't shotgun them. I, the next time I see them at the next holiday, they're not as left. So uh, my style is a little different. So what happens is, you know, most of my family are Democrats and a lot of them are pastors, believe it or not, which is really irks. It's like, how can you be a pastor and be a Democrat? You know? <laughs> but we'll be at a family gathering. And my thing is I'm very boisterous. So no. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, I'm, I, you know, because here I've been such a wallflower. But I, I I go in and something's going on and something comes up and I go yeah hey, oh that turkey how much that turkey cost that's a Biden turkey right there <laughs> you know oh. you get half the turkey at three times the price you know I'll be like that and then people oh Kevin there you go with the pop going with politics that's just a fact she's complaining about the price of the turkey so I'm telling you who if that was a Trump turkey it would be four times bigger and you would have paid half for it right <laughs> I'm doing that right and so there you can see people are like boy he's 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 not Kevin doesn't back down. He's in the, the den and he's he states what he says. Now there's two things at play when I do that, and maybe you experience this. One is my family knows family does not get a pass when it comes to getting your ass kicked. Okay. You you get mad at me, I will tell tell you, let's go outside and I'll kick your ass. That's number one. And number two, I'm one of the smartest people in the family. And they know that. Anytime my family's like, Well, we what do we do for a business? Call Kevin call Kevin. So how can you say he's one of the smartest guys we know? He comes, he's, he's our go-to guy. He's our go-to guy. And he's, wrong, and he's wrong about it. But he's wrong about this, right? right? So they have that. And then they know the power of my conviction because they know if I'm so wrong, I wouldn't be con so convicted about being wrong. Yeah. Well, I get to, you know, like <laughs> anybody goes to say anything, like most of my family, I was super concerned. <laughs> but when I'm around folks that know me that are left, they go, oh, yeah, no, I'm not getting into it, Greg. No, but that like, happens. Nope, nope, not that happens a him. lot. Where, and here's the one that gets me is they'll say, well, Kevin, don't talk to him because he's a Democrat. And I go, so what? And I immediately go and engage. So I heard you're a Democrat. Why would you do that? You know, and I don't get it upset. I'm like, why? Just out of curiosity, should you vote for Biden? You know, and I go, you do know 20 percent of Democrats said before the election said that Biden suffered from brain damage. Did, did you believe that? No, nah, that wasn't true. Whatever. And I go, you have seen him shaking hands. Well, what with, do you think now? Yeah. yeah <laughs> so I, I will engage you. Don't tell me don't talk to them. Are you kidding? That's how we got into this mess. Right. I'm going to go engage you. I'm going to make you have to come to a, re a realization of, well, maybe I was wrong about that. It's like when 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 uh, Vinny is asking the guy about them grits. You sure about them grits? <laughs> you know, when you know, twenty minutes. Well, how do you know it was those same boys? I was cooking grits. He goes, "How long does it take your grits? You you cook your grits in five minutes? Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's what I do. I make you have that that my cousin Vinny moment that goes, what I thought was right, suddenly isn't right. Yeah. And that is what you that's what you're trying to win when you're trying to go and win. When I go back to, to Justice Thomas saying you can synthesize it quickly, I'm going to find out what you say and I'm going to I'm going to hit you with something so between the eyes that you go, oh, you're right.
Like when Matt, what's his face is Matt uh, Walsh is asking the guy about a woman. He's like, you know, what we, what about a woman? He's like, well, you can't speak on women's issues because you're not a woman. And Matt goes, I don't have to be a woman to speak on women's issues or to know what a woman is. And he goes, yeah, you do. And he goes, do you know what a cat is? Right. Did you see that video? No, but I know exactly what you're talking and about. And the guy literally walked off. Right. That's, that is, uh, that's why I love Matt Walsh, because we think alike. He knows how to get you to go. Oh, cut to the chase, cut to the chase. Yeah. And that guy had to leave and it, it, he can act like he won the bet. I'm just going to walk away. No, Matt made you have to understand he's right and you're wrong. Right. And and that's winning the battle. So I don't let micro battles happen around me that I won't get you. If you're at the I've heard people in the bank line waiting. We were at the grocery store. You say the wrong thing. I'm in your face talking. Oh, yeah. I've driven everyone crazy. I think I I think I ended up getting a divorce over. I drove everyone crazy. I was like, well, why would you say that? I mean, it all came down there to Trump presidency. It did it. I was like, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to not say that. No, I'm not going to. I'm Good not going to be man. quiet. Um, I know I drove the company crazy because I said I'm not backing off one iota you know we got we did this shirt about the chinese communist knockoffs of our knives did you hear about the shirt uh-uh. uh there's this t-shirt gate i had this uh chinese guy in a chairman mao top and he has a copy of one of my knives because they copy my stuff and he's leaning forward and it's got a little thing that says you want chitorian and the name's the praetorian i'm called it the chitorian right <laughs> And uh, you want Chitorian, and he's got kind of big, a little bit slightly big teeth. Uh-huh. And then behind him is Xi Jinping, like leaned over <laughs> like this. And you don't see, it's real subtle-like, but Xi Jinping's pants are down around his ankles. <laughs> and he and he's holding a bucket, and the bucket says PLA on the front, and the Chinese guy who's holding the knife forward is dropping a dollar in the bucket. He says, you want Chitorian. And my the message was... The communist ruling class is fucking over the working class who's stealing from America and giving the money to the military. Yeah. It was like, and then it says, don't buy Chai Com knives. Don't buy Chinese communist knives. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just about got kicked out of the show. I broke the damn internet. The knife world all hated my guts. My employees all got scared. I was torpedoing the company. Oh, you can't torpedo this company. And it was, the thing is, it's the truth. And what people were mad at the most is the two teeth on the Chinese guy and uh, and that he was in stereotypical attire and uh, that I gave him an accent in, in, in the language. Oh. And I said, you know, if I got rid of the stereotypical attire and I made the teeth normal, it, lo- it loses its message. It's not even a cartoon yeah, anymore. It loses the message. So I know it was a little edgy. I thought it might be was slightly insensitive. The kids drew it up in the art department. I was like, yeah, let's rip it, man. That's totally the message. Put Xi Jinping behind fucking him. And they were like, really, boss? I was like, yeah. Nobody got mad about that. No, nobody the accident. No, they were like, you, I was a guy spent 45 minutes on the phone chewing me out that I had given him a Chinese accent. It was it was de- demeaning to him and the teeth and the accent because he was Jewish and he said Hitler did it with a big nose in the cartoons in World War. Well, it's funny you, you bring it up. So, you know, we I do the comedy and and uh, I do the accents, you know, so I lived in China. So I'll do you know, what I and or if it's a Mexican, I'll do it. It's Hispanic, you know, Latino accent, whatever. And uh, people are like, you know, today you're not supposed to do that. I do it. 
The reason we call it the unapologetically American comedy tours, I'm not backing down. It may offend your sensibilities. You know what? Fuck you. I'm not backing down. This is what the way I grew up. White boys are coming to me. What's up, my Negro? You know, whatever. They would do things in the, in the ethnic. And I would, hey, well, how are you today, buddy? You know, I do white boy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what you do. That's what makes it funny. That's what, because you know why? We all knew we were all Americans. But we would we would rank on our little Chinese dude, the Adis, that was our only little Asian family. He's Japanese. We'd rank on him and he loved it. The Mexicans, man, we were, you know, hey, what's up, SA? You know, canal. You know, we would just and and we did it every single day because we cared about each other, man. And here's the thing: the more you rank on a, on somebody around me, the more I know you like them. Right. If you're just like, oh yeah, well, hey, meet so and so and you meet so I I'm going, okay, they're just they're uh -huh. not tight but when they're like yeah man look at him over there with that big old head you know i know okay that's your boy right so I, that's me and i'm not changing the world the oh the world's changing you you were talking about oh this is all evolving it is it can evolve i'll evolve with some of it in a normal way that an old man evolves but i'm not changing my core because right. as i said my biggest advice to you and your listeners is know who the hell you are and be okay with it. Yeah, I'm not going to say down is up and up is down. Right. And and that's that's what's crazy. Uh, that's what's going on around the uh, the country right now. Well, um, if somebody wants to support your cause a little bit, do you have a, something set up that they can help you out? Or you know, they go to the KevinJacksonNetwork.com. It's a it's a big beautiful site, and Mexico paid for it. <laughs> it's an amazing website. And they can find out about my podcast. They can find out about my video work. They can find out about my movie, Bleeding Blue, my movie site, The Flick Fest, my comedy tour, No Whites Allowed. It's coming in the spring. Everything we do centralized there. If they want to fund anything, obviously, then when they click on whatever they want, it's all there. And we do a ton of philanthropic work. I have a, a 501c3 that it, you know, we just sent some cup, couple of kids up to D.C. to go hang out with the Hillsdale guys because we we have a feeder to Hillsdale College. We pound for pound, I'll be I'll just be honest. We are the most effective group in the country, bar none. So I'm proud of the work that we do. Uh, and if you if you like snarky, sarcastic stuff, read my blog. Uh, you like those kind of you like my style on the radio. Watch my videos. You watch my movies, they are amazing. So, and uh, the Flick Fest has probably some of the best entertainment that people will never see anywhere else. So, and how, yeah. how long have you been doing stand-up for? Man, I, I did stand-up the first time in New York, at the same place Chris Rock got spotted, and I, I killed. And I was doing comedy off and on for years, just doing some open mics and things like that, because I never wanted to hit the road. It was just, I, my friends were comedians. I opened for Victoria Jackson, Joe Piscopo, those guys. Uh, knew a lot of the old school Saturday Night Live crowd from when I'd go up in New York and do a set here and there, but it was always sporadic. But in 2006, I did my own tour, the Reparations Comedy Tour, and I had four white guys that were on tour with me. And, and the joke of it was they were working for me and paying their reparations, and it was it was a really funny deal. But we did a we did that tour, <clears throat> and then I would do more open nights, hone material. And then we started this tour again. So technically, I've been doing comedy for you know three decades, but uh, not all the time. Now Tim Wilkins, uh, he's he's on tour with me. Tim opens for he opened for Saget the night before he died. So Tim was on. In fact, Saget sent a shout out to him. Tim's open for Dennis Miller, uh, Kathleen Madigan. He's he tours a lot. 
Brad Stein is known as God's comic. And uh, Brad has done church, a lot of churches. I mean, he's been in front of millions of people. One of the most talented comics you'll ever hear. Three very different comics. But all clean. All clean. Yeah. And and three very different styles. My style is Chappelle-esque. Tim's is more typical stand-up. Brad's is almost like a, a Robin Williams meets Sam Kennison. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's three very different styles. And then we do a bar stool at the end where we just take questions from the audience and rift and have a good time. I, that to me is the most fun because you don't know what they're going to ask you. So you guys doing a show here in Phoenix? We did one uh, uh, March 31st, sold it out. And now they, where was that at? At the venue, uh, venue 8,600 over in Scottsdale. Okay. But they want us to do another show. So we're bringing it back sometime in the spring. It'll come back here. Well, we should have you come in and uh, do a little promo with the, for the show. Maybe. Uh, oh, we'd love to, man. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I got on stage first time about five years ago. Did you? And uh, totally had a blast and it was great. And my goal was to drop the end bomb in my first show <laughs> because I grew up wearing out Richard Pryor records we were talking about yeah, before we sure. started. I, I mean, I wore them out listening to them. And youngsters don't know what that is, but there's a little arm with a needle that right. drags in the record and you could wear out a record. I remember wearing out uh, Richard Pryor and then Eddie Murphy came along. And uh, I remember just wearing those two out. They were edgy and I remember my dad, who is nearly an opaque white man, I never heard him laugh in my entire life like I heard him laugh to those two guys. Oh, I'll tell you who else you probably would like if you um, you would like Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney is one of the funniest dudes on the planet. Racial humor in your face. He's an ethnocentric black racist that will have you in stitches. <laughs> and 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 he's crazy. He and he by the way, Paul wrote for Richard Pryor. He, okay. he wrote his jokes. So Paul, you would really like. Interesting guy. And um there's a, a more modern comedian. He passed away, man. Uh, uh, Patrice O'Neill. Patrice O'Neill. <clears throat> Patrice O'Neill is probably, you're going to think I'm sacrilegious here. Patrice O'Neill may be the best comedian I've ever heard. He is so natural. His observations are off the chain. And uh, Patrice O'Neill could work an audience naturally as good as really anybody. He uh, was as good as uh, Don Rickles. Oh, uh, Rickles was the crowd uh, worker of all time, wasn't he? Rickles uh, and and I look. I'm I'm a guy that goes back to the the old Jews and the Henny Youngmans and the oh yeah, yeah the Borschfeld guys, all those right. Yeah, and yeah. then and of course through the the the, the prior thing and then the uh, the Eddie Murphy and all that. And, but uh, my style is Chappelle esque because I I do a lot of racial humor and it makes you think. In fact, when I did a we did I did a separate event here for Goldwater. And I came off, I mean, it was me and DeSantis. DeSantis spoke, and then I came off stage, and I, the people were just cracking up. You, you, if you ever hear anybody say, they'll say, I, I couldn't I couldn't even hear Kevin because people were laughing, and we were down at our table just, you know, trying to get oxygen. But when I came off stage. you talking about like last week? No, I did it a, a year ago. Okay. Go water. So I, I came off stage, and people rushed up. Oh my God, who are you? And two people said, you're funnier than Dave Chappelle. And I went, now that's a compliment. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a compliment. Because he's a goat. But you, you, wait till you, till you hear what I do. Okay. So so it's that I do that kind of humor that you, you think you see it coming, and then it comes up behind the head and hits you. 
And, and I, I pride myself on writing that kind of humor because I, I and it's, it's all, it's, it's political, but it's pop culture at the same time. And the, the closest style is Dave. And, uh, and, and by the way, Patrice O'Neill is the funniest natural comic. Dave trained himself at uh, Duke Ellington yeah. to be a good comic. And Dave, the way we think is the same. And, and he and he's probably my second favorite comedian next to Patrice O'Neill. Oh, interesting. Okay. Then you get into Richard and you know and Mooney. Mooney's up there, man. Mooney's a funny dude. Paul Mooney, right? Paul Mooney. Yeah, I think I've actually heard him before. He's a funny guy. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Chappelle's the first guy to really do this total narrative arc routine, where the show's connected front well, to back. He he's done that now in his last few shows, but yeah. early on. But what Chappelle would do, and even like going back, say five shows, he'll say. He, he did a show, he said, I met Sylvester Stallone four times. And and then he'll, and that'll be the beginning. Then he'll tell something, and, and he'll tell some jokes, and he'll go, the first time I met Sly. And then he'll tell something, and, and it ties into that piece. Then he'll go, tell some more stuff, then he'll go, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, the second time. Yeah. So it, they call them bounce backs. Yep. His bounce backs are cleverly placed. Now, other people would do something like, yeah, man, so I had this dog once, and they'll set up the dog, and then they'll use the bounce back to the dog, you know, five or six times, but they'll set it up. And, that, and that's still good comedy, too. Yeah. So when you learn how people work and, and, uh, and, and sort of the audience, I do a lot of racial humor, especially racially uncomfortable humor. You know, I, I usually work a crowd. That's you know, my favorite. I, that that is me. my favorite. It's so much fun. <laughs> and and I'll even tell you them. You watch white people squirm th too, huh? I even tell them, I go, right now, there's a few of you going, I don't know. You know, I, I, I get into your mind and I tell you, but then I start coming at you from different angles. And it's an, it's a fun show. Pretty cool. Well, listen, uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug before we jump off? I don't need to plug anything, man. I, I, I hate doing that. <laughs> I, I really do. But here's the thing. The KevinJacksonNetwork.com. Okay. Go there. And uh, everything's there. And I'm, I communicate. Somebody writes to me, I write you back. Okay. You know, I've, I've got three best-selling books, a lot of TV products. I'm about to do something really cool here uh, in Arizona. Me and Layman are building this new network of stuff that's going to be pretty hot well i'll talk to you about it it's pretty cool when that comes to fruition i like him a lot yeah i'll come back yeah jim's amazing yeah. He's, he's a really cool guy so uh that's where everybody can reach me find out what we're doing go to my calendar or where i'm speaking things like that but no man but i, I want to really say this in to end the show very impressed man i mean with you as a person i mean we've met twice now and amazing business and you you really are somebody to be admired and oh, and i hope you. more I people that. i really hope more people get to to know you closer and really see what you're doing here cuz this is a jewel inside of arizona for sure yeah it's a pretty cool place it's a lot of hard work to get it here but i appreciate you saying so yeah man thanks man i appreciate you being here all right sports fans that's the show thanks for joining us uh not on the typical lane uh not in the in the typical lane we the typically drive in and very cool uh, it is wonderful to have people take time out of their life, come in and connect with us and spend a few moments with us. And thank you all for uh, poking in and checking us out. Go over to uh, Spotify, go over to um, iTunes, go over to Rumble if you want to see the full unedited show for those of you who are stumbling across this on YouTube. And thanks for your support. See you around.